You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I absolutely love getting into these conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me, not just talking about the most recent shiny point of their life, not just getting into their talking points, but getting into the journey of their life, the ups, the downs, the twists, the turns, the joys, all of it. On today's episode, I have Stephanie Chin. She is an illustrator, a best-selling author, and women's advocate. If you're not following her on Instagram, she not only like is an amazing illustrator that you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then it's like, wow, what she is sharing about is so amazing. And I also I actually realized after we um, stopped recording, like, right, I don't know if I got into enough of... I did. We talked about what inspired her to start that. But yeah, basically, she's incredible. And after ending the recording, I was like, "Ooh, whoops, could have gotten into some other things. But hey, maybe we'll have her back someday. There's just so much to talk about with all of these incredible people I get to talk to. So enjoy the episode. Make sure you subscribe, follow the podcast. Please leave me a rating or review. I know if you're on Spotify, it's just a, like a rating of stars. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Don't worry too much of what you say. But those reviews really matter, not just because it's lovely for me to read them. Of course, for future possible other listeners to read them. But also that's how podcasts become more discoverable by having ratings, having reviews. And it's the same thing for books. So if you have my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Once. If you don't have it, what are you waiting for? Um, but go leave that a review too. And Stephanie's book as well. Here, Sister, Let Me Help You Up is her book. All right, let's get into the episode. All right, so I love starting with getting to know people based on, you can start even earlier with how you grew up, but I especially like hearing about people in high school <laughs> and like what life was like for you in high school. But also I feel like that's where the pressure can really start of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Who am I going to be? What happens next? And all of that pressure that can come from the outside world, but also internally as well. Oh my gosh. You know what? When I think about high school, I feel like every year that I get older, I think about it a little bit different. It's so weird. Like I, I've in the last few months, I've actually been thinking about high school a lot because the older I get too, I'm like, wow. Yeah. That period really shapes a lot of your personality and you don't really see it until in my experience until I've gotten older. I'm like, okay, that really, that really shaped. But in high school, I was just a little emo kid. I had a lot of emotions. I had the total, like the hair that like covered my one eye. I was like totally into like hardcore music and going to concerts. That's really when my love for music started to manifest itself. And, and I was just going to a lot of shows with my friends. Um, my parents went through a divorce in high school that was pretty rough. So that was a pretty defining emotionally. That was a really defining moment for me as well, as far as like seeing unhealthy relationships and kind of, you know, the dynamic of people splitting in a way that wasn't really not healthy. So I think it has, when I think about high school at this stage in my life, because I'm always, always changing, it was just a really messy time in my life. 
where I started to question who I was and what I wanted to do. And yeah, that's where I am with thinking about high school currently. When your parents were going through the divorce, like, did you at that time, did you like understand it in a way of like, oh, good, I think you guys need this? Or was it, why are you doing this to me? Or like, yeah, or like, you know, yeah. Do you remember? I what- the experience, yeah, I was really uh, happy that my parents were splitting up. It was a really rough few years. I was seeing my mom, my mom was in this moment that I can see now as I'm like, as I'm growing older, like where my mom had never really lived her own life, her own truth, her own self. She was always, she was, you know, she grew up in the Catholic church. She was told your job is to be a mother and a wife. And at that time in my life, I thought my mom was losing her mind. That was my perspective is that she's kind of losing her mind. My perspective is now is like, She was kind of losing her mind, but in a way that she kind of needed to in order to break herself out of all of these um, societal pressures and all of these things that she felt like she had to be and live her own life, couldn't live her own life. Um, So for that, I think even though I couldn't put the words to it at the time or really understand it yet, I could see that that's kind of what was going on with my mom. But it wasn't like a, yes, we should split. Let's just, you know split in a healthy way. It was very messy. It wasn't, um, there was a lot of, a lot of feelings involved that were unresolved. So even though you were like happy, they were going their own ways in many ways, like how it was going down was not very like emotionally steady or like, yeah, like, (laughs) like, yeah, no, it was, it was chaos. It was like the example of like a really messy divorce. It would be Mm. both of them. (laughs) And so, yeah, what, so you liked concerts and music. Did you have an, and also you're such an amazing artist. Have you, was art like a something for you as a young kid that you really connected with? And like, you know, was that part of like, were you like, I'm going to do something with art or what did you think? Like, especially like getting out of high school and then what's next? Where did you think you were going to go next or who were you going to be? Yeah, I, ever since I was a child, I always was really into art and creating. And I think for most of my childhood, I um, I was diagnosed with OCD. So I tend to do this thing that manifests for me and hyper fixating on perfectionism. So I always wanted to create as a kid, but I always had these fears that like everything I made wouldn't be good enough. So it was like, I had the desire, but I could never get myself in a position to really like just do it or try. I had all this fear of like, what if it wasn't good enough? What if I mess up? And that always stopped me in my tracks. So So even as like a younger kid. Yes. It wasn't, you know, like, yeah, because I even, my oldest is almost seven and she loves to draw and is always drawing. And I'm not, she's not like, I'm not like, oh my gosh, you're meant to be an artist. Like she could be at this stage, but it's not like, you know, that, but like interesting that, so even do you feel like from a young, young age that you like didn't let yourself or did it get once you were older, like stop? I did. I would let myself at times. I would, once I, as I got older, I came, it came with more like, oh, this isn't good enough. Or I would just like judge everything I made. I always had the expectation that like, okay, a real artist instantly makes a big, beautiful thing without practice. So I kind of had that like underlying of like, if I'm not good right out of the gate, I'm not meant to do it. 
So I kind of carried that with me as a kid where I was like, yes, I, I like to draw, but like, I'm just, I'm not them, like whatever them is. Like, I'm not that good. It doesn't come natural to me. All of these like stories I told myself that were just bullshit. Um, but it really, when I was in high school and I started to get into music, I was like, I want to be in the music industry. So I started working for shows. And when I started working for shows, um, someone was like, maybe you should design a show poster. And I was like, okay, cool. And I didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, I'll just like draw something and whatever. And they really liked it and they asked me to do more. So I think I know that that was kind of like the door for me where I was like, I think I really like to draw. And then this way I can like merge the two things together, like my love for music and my love for art. So that was kind of like the start for me. But even at that time, I was like, I'm just doing this for fun and for like a few extra dollars. I didn't really think it could be it. What was like the first thing you started to do? Because if you were in high school, like working for shows, was it just like working at the venue? Like what was your, yeah. I would just pass out flyers to get in shows. For oh, free. so like little clubs, um, like, like sort of thing. They like little, they were pretty was actually um that like let, they're like yeah you guys me and my friend gabby you guys get it for free if you pass out flyers cool that's what we did and then um interesting yeah and then i just started to uh i dated someone who worked for them and then i started to just work for shows i worked for south by southwest a few times so it kind of like grew but i always knew that that wasn't really what i wanted to do I just liked always being around other creators. And at the time I didn't know that like, or I didn't feel like I could do it myself, but I wanted to be around all these people creating. And um, when your friend gave you the idea to draw like posters, was that like, did you bring that idea to a band or to the venue itself? Like, oh, I can make a poster to advertise this show, these shows that you're going, have going on. So it was actually the, um, so it was this company called No Clubs and they put on all these shows in the Tampa Bay, St. Pete area. And it was actually the, the so guy like that owned the company that was like, oh, you should like design. Yeah. The promoter. Yes. So like, um, was like, oh, you should just like draw one or whatever. So it was his idea. Okay. But you knew him from like past being a flyer girl or sort of like, got it. Yes. yes but yeah, he must have seen yeah, your yeah. art, right? Or did he see you drawing or something? Like how would he even have given that, given you that idea? I think I've mentioned it to him before a little bit because um, the guy I was dating at the time, he did some of their graphic design work. So like my ex-boyfriend was kind of like, oh, like, um, you know, why don't you like try drawing something? Blah, blah. So it was kind of through them too, them both like pushing me a little bit to be like, just, just make something. Like, it's not a big deal. Just make something. So, yeah. And you were able to like push through those fears. You know, when I think about it at the time, I think I just didn't really think much of it. I think I was like, oh, okay, I'll just draw something for fun. So I don't, and I didn't take it too seriously. Like maybe because it was like a flyer for something too, that it wasn't like, this is art. Yes. I'm making art, but like, oh, sure. I'm helping them yeah. design a poster. Like it seemed like not as a big, like I'm making art. Is that maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I just didn't. I was like, I'm just doing this one fun thing right now. And I didn't really just hyper fixate on it. I didn't really put a lot of pressure on myself. It was like, just do something, just make something that they'll like. But I ended up putting in quite a bit of work into it. And I really enjoyed it. But even after that, I was like, I don't know. I looked at people like uh, Tara McPherson. I don't know if you know who that is. She's an artist who 
does a lot of- I was like, that name sounds familiar, but I can't place it. She does a lot of show posters. So like she started out doing um, for like gig posters and making like concert posters. And I always was in love with her and her style and her aesthetic. And I always looked at her as like, um, if I was to do anything, I want to do what she does. So when I got that opportunity, in my mind, I was kind of like, you know, I don't think I have what she has, but I'm just going to make something fun this one time. And then when I saw the the response to it and how much people liked it, then that kind of opened the door. But even then, I took like, I mean, we're talking like when I was like 19 and I'm 33 now, and I've only been drawing again for like five years. So I still, even then, even though that did well, I was like, I need to get a real job. Like I need to do real life things. And so, yeah, it still went under the carpet for a bit. So, okay. So that was when you were 19. So when you graduated high school, what did you do? Were you just in that like music promoter, like scene, working concerts and making art for a while? Or did you start going to college? Did you feel like you had to go to college? Was there any pressure for that stuff? I did start going to college. And then I also, I, so um, when I was 20, I had a, a stillbirth at seven months. So I feel like that, or I know that time in my life kind of took everything and shifted it a bit. So I was still in college, but I was obviously going through a lot of trauma and I didn't have the understanding at the time to know that that's what I was going through. I just knew that I, I couldn't focus. I couldn't everything felt overwhelming and scary. And I just didn't know what it was that was going on inside of me. You always have the like little inkling of like, I think it's because, you know, this happened and I'm not processing it, but I also didn't know how to process it. So in that time period, um, and because I didn't know how to, I, I like went to a doctor at the time and I was like, I can't focus. And instead of them being like, maybe it's because you went through this really traumatic thing. Um, I was given a prescription for something that I became addicted to. So that kind of shifted my life in a way where I, I felt like I had to be someone else. Like I had to force myself to fit into you know, just function and operate and just get things done. And so I stayed working a little bit in the music industry. And then I also, I started a cupcake catering business just on a total whim. (laughs) So I literally applied for, this is how my mind works. I applied for a cupcake bakery just as a part-time job. They didn't hire me. And I said, fine, I'll start my own. My brain, where I was like, you don't want I'll me to do it. Like, I just, just gotten myself excited about working part time making cupcakes. So I guess I got it screwed up my way. Like, I did. I got so excited. I was like, I can bake cupcakes. Like, what's the big deal? So I, I did. And I did really well. <laughs> so it actually was a really good, like, the business did really well. And I always, um, I always say that that was kind of the point in my life where I realized, okay, I can start a business. Like I can literally just do like start something and just run with it and believe in it. And, you know, although I quickly learned that owning a catering business and baking and all of that was like not meant for me, the underlying comfort was like, I do want to work for myself. I do want to build something for myself. And I do want to have it be in a creative way. Although like baking wasn't, um, you know, it's super creative. 
it's also, I also love the idea of like, it's creative and then it's gone. Like it's a piece of artwork and then you eat it and it's gone. For some reason, I really like was really drawn to that way of creating, but it did kind of open that door. Like I said, of just like, I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I just have to like really believe in it. First of all, wow. I'm sorry for your loss. I can't imagine going through that. I'm going to step way back. So you were, you got out of high school, you were going to college at that time. Was that just like a check the box? Uh, I, I go to college or were you studying something you were excited about? Was it just like, okay, that's what you do next. You graduate high school and then you go to college. Like what were you, what were your plans with being in college? Um, so I, I was going to school for psychology, which I really was like passionate about, but also I, I knew that that wasn't something that I, like, I think for me, like I was like, I want to help people, but I don't know what that looks like. So I thought, okay, the obvious thing is like become a therapist. Um, and then I quickly learned that that wasn't really for me. Um, so then I moved into broadcast journalism. Um, cause I thought, well, I want to tell stories and share other people's stories. And then the same thing, I was like, this exact box of like broadcast journalism isn't for me. Cause it was like learning how to like do the news. And I was like, this is definitely not even my personality. Um, so although like, you know, so I think it was a little bit like, I felt like I needed to go to college, but also like, I was kind of just continuously searching for like the thing that I wanted to do. And then. Obviously, when you got pregnant, you had planned on keeping the baby. And what was that also life of getting pregnant that young, I'm guessing, was not like, uh, okay, this is what I've planned for myself or like what, like, I can't yeah, imagine I, what your life might have been getting adjusted to the fact like, all right, I'm 20, I'm having a baby. And then you got adjusted to that. And then, okay. I guess I'm not, especially if living yeah. with a baby. Excuse me if I'm bringing up <laughs> being like diving too into no, that. It's, it's like <laughs> I like to talk about things and I'm like, oh, this could be traumatic to be like, okay, what was that like? Um, I no, think it is. I do think I'm also thinking back then. I can't imagine. Yeah, like I can't imagine what it's like to go through that now. But social media, I think that's one of the actual positive things of it is like bringing people to connect. Like, unfortunately, we've seen, you know, people in the public eye go through those sorts of things in recent years and how painful it is. And, and that sucks. But also then I wonder if you had been seeing that, too then how and would the access to like also different ways of support or like, I don't know if that would have supported you just to like, I don't know. I just can't imagine that experience period, but yeah, like your life going through all of that. So young. Yeah. I, when I reflect on it now, I can see like, I felt really alone, you know, because I was so young. So I didn't have friends, you know, now at this age, I have friends who have had miscarriages and have had their experiences. So there's not an isolating experience, but when you're that young, you don't know anyone. And also there are these complex emotions that I was having that I felt a lot of shame about of like, I did not want this to happen, but I was not ready to have a kid and I knew it. So it, it brought up this really deep shame of like, there was even a time where I was like, did I wish her dead and all this stuff? Because I was just so 
you know, it's, it's just so layered, like grief is so layered. And at that time I had never experienced, um, losing something like that. So I, I also didn't know how to allow myself to process what I was processing. Um, I had also this experience when I was in the hospital, I was not raised religious. My parents are not religious. My, my dad was very like, what do you think is real? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, none of us really know. So don't believe anyone who tells you for sure. So that was my experience. And my mom was raised very Catholic. And she was very, she went in the, ran in the complete other direction. So my understanding, you know, I didn't have these like religious beliefs around, um, you know, like I decided not to have an abortion. It was just because I didn't feel like at the time that's what I wanted to do. And I remember after I lost Lillian, I was in the hospital, a couple, I don't know what they were, like church ministers or something, just came into my room without permission and were telling me, you know, Lillian's in heaven and with God now and all these things. And and they're like, you can come to our support group and we'll give you support. And I was like, this is not what I want. This is making me feel worse. This is like telling me stuff I don't align with. Um, so for some reason in my mind at the time, I didn't even think, oh, go seek out another support group. I immediately was like, you know, these support groups are... These support groups are overly religious. Going to push ideas, overly religious, going to push ideas on me and force me to think in a way I don't want to. So I just kind of like, was like, I don't need support. I just need to move on. Mm. That was my thing for myself. But I did, I saw on your post recently... Was that right after that or longer that someone told you about to get a dog? So that was uh, actually my OBGYN. She, we were talking and she did say, because she was asking how I was coping. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, you know? And how long after was that? This was probably a few weeks after when I was going in for like a routine checkup to, you know, make sure my healing was okay and everything. And she was like, you know, do you have any animals? And I was like, well, we have a cat, uh, but you know, the cat was like inside outside, not really like an emotional connection for me at the time. She's like, well, maybe you guys can get like a dog and maybe that will kind of help you. And at the time she said, you know, pour all that love that doesn't have a place. You don't have a place to put it now. And I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. Like I was like, okay. Um, and now I understand what it meant. Like that yearning to love something and to take care of something and nurturing that comes after loss that you don't sometimes even like at the time I didn't have the vocabulary to even say that's what was going on. I just had like this feeling. So I got nom noms and that's how nom noms came into my life. My little Boston Terrier. I, I love that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that was, that was probably great advice on her part. I assume, you know, like I just, yeah, I can't imagine like I've gone through grief, but I am very lucky that I have not had a miscarriage, um, or lost a child. Um, but yeah, like to have that place to like have that, but also like the unconditional love that the animal then is giving to you too. like, besides you having a space for your love than that. You all, I have to make sure you know and that you go check out Sprout Living and their amazing protein powder blends. 
They are making it so easy for me to give myself this huge dose of nutrients, of energy, of superfoods, of adaptogens. Super easy, of course, to add it to smoothies. You can add it to pancakes. But honestly, they taste so good and are so good for you that I have also just been adding them to water in a shaker cup. That freaking easy, you all. Okay, so what makes them different than other protein powders on the market is organic plant proteins, superfoods, adaptogens, nootropics, and prebiotics are in their blends. You can get 17 grams of multi-source plant-based protein There's no gums or thickeners like most plant protein powders use. There's no, quote, natural flavoring. Do you know that when you see natural flavoring as an ingredient, it means it's actually not natural? What the F? Why are they allowed to do these things? It's powered by only whole food ingredients formulated in a kitchen, not a lab, and they are multifunctional blends thanks to multiple protein sources, superfoods, adaptogens, and nootropics, which makes it easier for your body to actually take it in and put it to use. There's a wide variety of flavors, hypoallergenic blends, blends there is really something for everyone. For example, their Epic Protein Pro Collagen Blend contains ingredients that help boost the body's own natural production of collagen. Their Epic Protein Mindful Matcha Blend contains ingredients that help boost mental clarity, focus, and memory. How cool is that? And that reminds me that I want to go make that one right now. (laughs) And you can really taste the difference behind this level of thoughtfulness and purity. There's no weird aftertaste. There's no obnoxious sweetness. It is right on, spot on. I don't know how many times I've either gotten protein powders and it's like, let me please try to make this sweet when you're trying to add all these other ingredients, or they're so sweet that I like wince from it. Sprout Living has got it down. Go check them out at SproutLiving.com. Use code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off. Seriously, no BS. I have used so many different protein powders over the years from all around the world while I was traveling, and I am obsessed. SproutLiving.com. Use code CLAIMIT20 for 20% off. Okay, so, and then you eventually got prescribed something because you cuz yeah you still were not mentally healthy which is makes sense and you said you got addicted to it yeah so i you know i immediately i didn't even i didn't pause on my life at all wow. when i lost Lillian. i was at work the next week i went back to school the next week um but i couldn't think i couldn't focus i couldn't um i wasn't even necessarily just thinking about the experience the whole time but i just was in like a very natural darkness that followed after that. And I, you know, like I said, couldn't focus. So I went to see a psychiatrist. I finally was like, I need some sort of help because this isn't working. So I went to see a psychiatrist and like, I literally left that day with a prescription of Adderall. So my family has a really rich history of addiction. Um, and in my mind, I was always like, as long as I avoid alcohol, I'll be fine. So I was never a drinker. I was never into drinking. I was like, oh, I'll have, you know, like one drink every now and then. So I thought, okay, I have, I've missed it. Like I totally miss being an addict because I don't drink. Didn't even, you know, process that like, that's not how addiction works, you know? So, so I was prescribed something and I, 
you know, it instantly made me feel better, forget everything that was going on. Um, it made it so I could focus and focus on the thing in front of me and what I was doing, which, you know, I always like to say like that works for some people. It really does. Like, you know, ADD is a real thing and it's very, you know, these things help for me. That was not what I needed at the time whatsoever. And a simple, like, I was going to say in that session, like, yeah, you went in because you couldn't focus, but was the grief and experience of loss that you just had like brought up? It was not. It was like very loosely like, um, you know, I I did bring it up. I was like, yeah, I lost a pregnancy um, a few months ago. And it was like, okay, well, this will help you. And that was that was it. Got it. So it was brought up, but there wasn't focus on it. It was just like, okay, you know that you have OCD or 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 did that was that a diagnosis that was known at the time? That wasn't um, just ADD. He's like, yep, you clearly have ADD. You, said, you, you have ADD, focus. you yeah. can't focus. So here, yeah. we'll give you Adderall. Interesting. And it did help you focus. <laughs> it totally worked until it didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the thing about addiction is it? it's, you know, like it works, it works. And then it just suddenly does not. And then you find yourself in a pretty deep hole. Was the starting the cupcake business, like, was that pre- addiction or post or, or, or during, or like, were you, were you healthy with it for a, a time? And then it got like so I, out of control during. So I was healthy when I first started taking Adderall, I was definitely like, you know, um, taking it as I should. I was like, you know, I would say there was almost like two versions of me. So I, you know, I was, I decided to start a cupcake business, which was good for me. It was like something that was, you know, the light side and all of this darkness. And I was able to have the energy and the focus because I was taking Adderall. There's also this side of me that was like just getting darker and darker because I wasn't focusing on really taking care of myself. So it's, you know, it's, I always you know, at first, when I like reflected on experience, I would always be like, that was a terrible experience, right? The whole thing, the whole time my life is terrible. And now I can see these threads of like me trying to pull myself out of all of that shit without realizing that was what I was doing. And that's what I was doing by like starting the business on an impulse. It was just me like, maybe this will bring me closer to myself. So I think at that, or I know at that time, that's really, I was just like searching, but I wasn't doing it with the capacity to heal properly. Got it. So yeah, when you didn't get that job and you're just like, well, I'll just start my own. Like, how did you actually like do that? Did you just like start baking cupcakes and like, you know, taking them around? Did you start like just telling people, Hey, I can bake cupcakes for your event or like, yeah. How did you start your, that was literally it. I literally, so, um, the, the place, the concert shows that I used to work for, they had a record store as well. And they used to have like these in stores and everything. So one day I was like, I'm going to bake cupcakes for one of them, whatever. And then they were like, Oh, this is great. So then I just started baking cupcakes for all the events and all the local businesses were like, Oh, they would like come and be a part of the record store day. So then they were like, Oh, I like cupcakes. And this was like during like the hot time of cupcakes, like the, the cupcakes was like, bam, when sprinkles came out. It, it, when it like exploded and like cupcake was wars was like <laughs> yes <laughs> it exploded so I was like in the right place at the right time as well um so yeah it grew and it was it really was just 
something that was experimental that just kind of like took off. And then I started doing like bigger parties and weddings and things like that. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I love that though. Like I think so often people can stop themselves from trying things because it's like making it so hard. And you were just like started with where, you know, like, okay, I do this or I go to this event. Maybe I'll just like, and also the first time, did you just bring cupcakes? Not like say, pay me, I'm going to make cupcakes. Was it, I'm going to make cupcakes for this event. And then they liked it and then started to pay you or how, you know? I don't really, I don't think I was paid. I think I just brought them for the first time. Cause I was like, I definitely had like an experimental, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And these cupcakes show it things where like, they were all just like messes and none of it. So I was like, I just got to give these out and just like, will people consume them? And then it got, and then I started to practice singers. So yeah, it wasn't just like, I was like instantly, bam. Yeah. I'm a great baker. Lots of months of trial and error. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's like though. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm just going to like put this out there. I'm going to like, just, yeah, bring this thing and like, see, I love that. So yeah, that it end up sort of getting like too successful for you that it was like overwhelming or what, or were you just like, wow, great. I built something, but I actually don't want to do this. <laughs> um, you know, I, it, I started doing all weddings mostly, which really is when you're baking and a lot of like catering stuff, like weddings is the hot market, right? Um, but also, or weddings, I would say, is how you would make most of your money from like, you know, catering, um, which was great. It also seems like one of the stressful places, <laughs> like everything has to be so perfect. It was incredibly stressful. It was not a passion of mine. You're talking about a girl who's like literally never visualized her wedding and like elopes. Like I never, I, I couldn't identify with the love for the experience that people were having. So then I just was kind of like annoyed and I totally understand it, but I don't understand it from my own point of view, like, like the need to like have everything a certain way. So I really was like at that point, like, okay, if I want to keep growing and make money with this, I'll have to lean into this market which I have no interest in doing. And then I also was just like, I don't really think I like to do this. You know, like I just reached that point. I was like this, it was just like one day where I was like, okay, you're at a point where either you stop or it's going to keep growing. And there was like a lot of fear in that. Cause I was like, there is this successful business you've started. And now you're like secretly hating it and building resentment towards it. Um, and at the time I didn't really know that like you could sell your business. <laughs> so I wish I would have like dove into that. But I was like 23 and I was like, I'm done. So I just literally stopped. And at this time, had you been continuing going to college while you were doing this too? Or had you stopped? I was no lot. I stopped going to college for a while at that point. Um, and then I started to work music festivals. So I was working like South by Southwest North by Northeast, um, a few other just random, I was working for Comic Con. I was doing a bunch of like little random events. So I was also traveling a lot. And that, you know, kind of was like, I had to like hire people to like help out with the bakery. And it was just like, I was feeling very pulled around. And then I just was like, this isn't really what I want to do. So yeah, that's when I just dropped. So what were you able to then like, I guess because the cupcake, you, when you decided that one working out, because you still were doing all of these things in the concert world, like it wasn't so much like, okay, what do I do next? Like it was, what do I do next? But you still were like, had these jobs that you were doing. Yeah, I was, I knew that the jobs were just like something I was doing at the moment. Um, but I was like, 
this was also around the time when I was starting to acknowledge, I wasn't doing anything about it yet, but I started to see that I was struggling with addiction. Like it, it was starting to like knock on my mind where I was like, this is, um, this isn't like going away and it's just kind of growing. Um, so I think there was also a part of me that was like, we're going to have to take a step back and kind of look at what's going on. Um, I also went through a really messy, really abusive breakup at that time. So I, I, I knew that like, I just needed to like shift it all, but I did continue to work, um, at those events and at the, you know, Comic Con and all of that. But also like, I let go of a lot of work at that time to, to just kind of like focus on me and my healing. And what, what made you like, was I'm guessing, did you keep taking more pills? Is that what ter- turned you in like start to noticing like that this was turning into an addiction? Like, or was it just feeling like, yeah, like what was that that you were starting to see? So I don't, it's really difficult to like pinpoint what, you know, the first time I took it for the first time, I remember thinking you might, you could probably have a problem with something like this, but then I was just like, mm, let's just but it helps you, right? A doctor gave it to you. It helps you like just move on from that thought. You're just overthinking it. Um, and then over time I started to notice, um, I needed to take more of it. And then I was also no longer just taking what I was prescribed. I started to like buy it from other people as well. So that was my, like my even louder internal voice going, Hey dude, like something's going on, but I, I just system overrode it for years and was just like, um, we'll deal with this later. We'll, we'll stop later. That was like my thing. We'll figure it out later. You don't have a problem. So you can just stop at any point and we'll deal with it later. Right. So that is what just kept coming up for me. And then I started to have moments where there were a few days where I took so much that I like, um, I took too much. And those days were when I started to scare myself where I was like, okay, this is like, um, this is not right. And then still, you know, I, I took a long time as, you know, most addicts do to really like see that, um, this problem was bigger than me, right? Like I went through the phase of, I can stop at any point. I'm just not going to. And I ended up moving up here to Toronto Um, and then that's when I was like, what made you move to Toronto? So you were in Florida. I was in Florida and then I moved to St. Louis, Missouri to live with my mom for about a year and a half after I, after I, uh, closed down the business and went through that breakup. I went to live with my mom and kind of like recollect myself and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, at that time I met my husband, Micaiah on Instagram and we started talking. Yeah. We started talking And then, um, I worked North by Northeast, which is a festival here in Toronto. So I got hired to work for them a little bit. And then I just decided to, I literally just like packed up my car and moved to Canada. Um, and that's how I got here. And it was, that was also like a total impulse. (laughs) So, uh, so do you, so you met him before you even moved up there? Yes. I'm yeah. Or, and then you ended up like getting work up there. I did. I got work up here. And then I, 
When I got up here, I was still working for North by Northeast and I was doing some work for South by Southwest and like online stuff. And then I... And that wasn't design work, right? It wasn't design work. No. Yeah, I didn't I, I didn't think so, but I just wanted to be clear. Like, yeah, just promote shit like back, whatever. Yeah. Like music festival. All the backhand stuff or backwards stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was like trying to think of like the right... Internal work, work yeah. Just like the planning, prep, whatever. Yeah, background, how to organizing stuff. Yeah. And I, I, um, when I came up here, I had this idea that like moving here, right. Like I belonged in a big city, all this stuff. So I thought if I just move to Toronto, you know, my life will get so great that I won't need to take Adderall anymore. And I had all these stories I told myself. Oh, so you were still taking it after living with your mom. And like, so even those moments were happening, like when you're living with your mom, when you're like, yeah, Okay, I think I need to stop this. But like, yeah, eventually. Mm-hmm. Yes, I understand. Yeah, like I understand. I have a problem that I will one day want to ch- stop. <laughs> I'll one day deal with. Yeah. So I moved up here, and then I the voice got even louder. So I was I made friends with someone here, and I was standing in her kitchen. And at this time, um, I was even going as far as having like someone mail me. Adderall here, which is super illegal, cross-border stuff. Um, and I, which I already knew, I was like, this is a, an even bigger flag that you're like going to this point and all of this. But I was standing in my friend's kitchen and I just had a voice come into my mind that was like, if you don't stop now, like you're going to, you're going to die. Like, this is what is going to, you're, this is how you're going to die, Stephanie. And it was the first time that. I felt like something else, I don't, whether it be my, like my, just my deep intuition, but something was like really telling me like, you've got it. This is like, this is it. Like, this is real and you have to do something about this and you can't. At this time I had tried to stop on my own about three times and I just couldn't. So I was getting the very loud signals that like, this is like bigger than you. And it's like, it's not your fault. You need to get help now. And then that next day, the person that was sending me the Adderall, I sent them a message and I was like, never send it to me again. And I went to my first NA meeting the next day. And that was, I haven't touched it since. And that was about five years ago now. Yeah. Wow. But it, yeah. And it's, you know, there's, it's addiction. You know, there's so many thoughts and feelings that everyone, I really think everyone who struggles with addiction has their own experience of it, right? And their own way to articulate it and talk about it. But everyone seems to have like that one moment where you're like, oh, fuck. Like this is, um, this is, this is bigger than me. And I've spent all the time like thinking it was just me that it was just, I couldn't stop or like, I just, I need to figure something out. Right. There's always like, you need to figure something else out or, or do something else. And it's, um, and for me, I was like, I need help. Like, I don't think I would have been able to get clean on my own, especially once I started to see that I just, um, you know, I couldn't, find an avenue out on my own whatsoever. And um, what then, like, I'm guessing that had to be a huge transition in your life after like sort of depending on this thing to 
help. I mean, although it did some things negatively for you, then it also was like was helping you focus, helping you that. Like, what? How did you end up supporting yourself in like that being changing? Because I make up like a lot of your brain chemistry then must change after going off of something that in some ways was really supporting you, and in a lot of ways it also was not for years. And did they support you in like doing things that would be like healing in NA or like was besides like all I know from like AA is like great people telling stories and coming together and this, but like I'm assuming there must be ways that that they are like offering suggestions. So when I decided to stop taking Adderall, I had, um, I was lucky in the experience that um, I had like maybe like two months where I just couldn't it felt like kind of like the COVID brain fog where it's just like, I just could not think straight. And I, but I knew it was because like, Hey dude, you've been taking like Adderall every day for seven years. Like your brain's going to need time to cope and to recoup and to figure out how to like think and function. And like, um, just, so you were just like, had that awareness and instead of like making it be wrong, like, okay, yeah, this is what's happening. I'm just going to allow this to like keep sorting itself out. Like sort of like you're, maybe being more compassionate with yourself instead of like, oh, yeah, totally. And that was a product of NA. Like my sponsor, um, she, I immediately got a sponsor when I was in NA and she was like, you've got to give your brain time. Like, you know, just from like a scientific, like put up, put aside all the like spiritual, all this stuff you're doing too, but like your brain like needs time to like recoup and to like settle itself into kind of, you know, you know, just, learn how to navigate stuff. So I did have that awareness of like, just wait it out, just wait it out. And I know too, at the time I was finally allowing myself permission to grieve. You know, the first thing that came up out of my mouth when I went to my first NA meeting was that I lost this pregnancy and I I don't think I've ever, ever dealt with it. And that was my like giant indicator of like, you know, I started taking it at the first time I took Adderall was on Lillian's actual due date. So there was like a clear, like, this was like very connected to that. And I immediately knew it once I gave my mind and my heart time to like, to like sit in that and be in that. So when that came out of my mouth in a meeting, I was like, we've got to like, we have to let ourselves grieve all that grief that we just did not even know how to navigate. Right. And I also had that awareness that like, I was a kid, like I was like, I was a kid when I lost her. So like, I can't go into this with the frustration that I didn't let myself grieve, but the compassion of like, I didn't know how to grieve. So I did what I needed to, to survive, which was get up and move on, you know, and, just get myself to function, which is where, you know, my first, which is where Adderall came in at first. And then it just grew into this thing where I just couldn't let it go. Um, so yeah, definitely bringing compassion in for the first time. And that came in with like, knowing that again, that it was like way bigger than me, which takes a lot of compassion to be like, I can't, um, I can't fix this on my own. Like I need help. Trisha here with one more brief interruption to remind you or let you know about 
other ways that I am here to support and empower you besides this podcast. Number one, my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Once. You can go to fthesholdsdothewants.com, find links to all the retailers and get some bonuses there. My From the Heart community, join. It is only $12 a month, cheaper if you get an annual membership. And if you join as a founding member, you can even get a one-on-one call with me or a surprise package from my gift shop. It is pep talks, heart talks, mind talks that come direct to your inbox. And it is in both written form and audio form, much different than my solo podcasts. They are talking right to you. They're shorter. There's guided audio affirmations, journal prompts, uh, an Ask Trisha section. Go check it out trishahuffman.substack.com. All the links will be in the show notes. I also have a daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome. Check it out from your app store. My products, shop.yourjoyalgist.com. My daily connection journal is a favorite. My insulated tumblers I drink out of every single day. They're amazing. I have new uh, sticker sheets that are super awesome go check out. Great for gifting and for yourself. And of course, I have coaching services. Everything. You can find out about everything at yourjoyologist.com. All right. Grief is like so unpredictable. And I think even now it's another like good thing about social media. There's so much more talk about grief and information, but yet still you can read all that information and know it and be like repeating these things and sharing it and thinking, but it's still like, once you're in it, you're like, what the, (laughs) what, like, what, it's just still like, it still doesn't feel good. So it's like, you have the information. It's still, you don't really, yeah, like know what, to do with it or even like my, I, I gave up, like I did same thing. I, when my totally different, but when my father passed away, suddenly that was my biggest experience with grief. I like left the funeral and flew to Australia. Cause that's where I was supposed to be when I got up the news to continue touring. So at first it was just like, yeah, like this is what I just, whatever, going to continue with my life. That sucked that my dad died. That really sucks. Okay. I guess that had to happen. Like whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like I was in all sorts of different spirals, but also just that. And then I like broke down on tour and so many things changed. And I tried to force myself through it for a couple of weeks. And then I ended up like giving my life up for a year. And that's like, I just like grief, like made me stop my entire life and like rethink about everything. But yeah, it's, we're just, like, yep, you keep going. <laughs> okay, I guess whatever. I guess I'll just go back to work or go back to school or like, what are you supposed to do? Uh, yeah. But so what I'm curious about when like art started to come back into your life. And also I know from watching you on social media that you do like dance classes and like, where did like that come from? Like, I love that. Um, and yeah, like wondering where those like more creative things came back into your life. So when I, you know, I, when you first get clean, you suddenly have all this, this time. Like I, cause my brain was like, not really, she was not really there yet. <laughs> she was like trying her best, but couldn't really function properly. Um, and I, I was you, thinking the same thoughts over and over of like, you know, replaying everything, you know, the, the beautiful thing about NA is that it does like, 
it's like you need to reevaluate everything. It's like not don't you're not just looking at addiction or like I'm, whatever you're addicted to. You've got to look at all the things that may have gotten you to that moment, all the things, all of your trauma, everything has to be dug up and sorted through, right? It's like cleaning out a room. You just got to dig it all out and then look at it all and examine what's staying, what's leaving, what's working, what's not. And the one thing that kept coming up for me is that I always wanted to be an artist. It kept, I kept seeing the through line, even through, you know, working in the music industry and then working for at comic cons because I wanted to be around artists and then working, you know, building the bakery. And uh, my favorite part of the whole thing was decorating. So I was like, okay, there is this very clear line that I'm just like, if I, I always looked at it as survival. Like if I don't look at it now, I might fall back in addiction again. If I don't listen to myself and these things I know I want to do, then if I like, it's literal survival for me of like, this is what you want to do. So you just need to like start. So I had all this extra time. So I was like, I'm just going to start doodling. And what I did was you can go like way back deep in my Instagram of like six years ago. And I used to do these little watercolor feelings because at the time I was just feeling every fucking feeling I suppressed for like 10 years, which was all of them. So I was like, I'm going to do these little feeling characters and have them like talking and interacting with each other. And, you know, like one of something that I made that gained traction was like grief and joy because I was going through a lot of grief and then also joy. And I drew them holding hands and, you know, like to showcase that like, these things can live together in the same room and hold hands. We don't have to pick one or the other. Like they both are, can be there. And that is when I started drawing again. And I really pushed myself to show it online. So every day I was like, I'm going to do a little drawing every day for 30 days. And then that was it. That was really the start of me. And did you create like a new art account or just start whatever your account had been? I just started posting it. Yeah, I just started posting it online. So you can go like deep in my, my Instagram account and see like... So like, I'm guessing before that it was just like, oh, I, whatever, I hear I am in Toronto or I'm working at this festival. Like, you know, just yeah. real life captures, which also like further back, we were less... Yeah, I don't know how... I'm like, I'm, I'm older than you. But, <laughs> but like, I'm like... But yeah, when I was on Instagram at the beginning, it wasn't... It was just like, oh, a snapshot of this, a terrible photo of what I ate. And then like, look where I am today. Like, you know, like whatever. Just random snapshots of your life that were usually terrible photos. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like cupcake, concert, <laughs> selfie. <laughs> like, that was it. And then you just started posting art. Drawings. Yeah. I really didn't think, I still didn't think I was like, this is just something for fun. For and like your healing expression, like, yeah, like this is just for you to like yeah. support yourself moving through this stuff. Yeah. I viewed it as like part of my healing journey. Like I, um, and then if a friend, a friend of mine likes it, cool. Like I, at the time didn't even really know that like people could reshare your stuff. Like I was always on Instagram, but I was like, not really, I didn't utilize Instagram. I was just on Instagram. Um, so I noticed that I started to gain a little bit more followers and I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever. And I still didn't think much of it. And then I started to change my style into drawing women because that, that's something that came up for me through, um, you know, when I was like going through NA was there was a lot of stuff tied to my body image. 
So Adderall also kept me thin, right? It's a stimulant, kept me very thin. So I always felt like I could, that was another fear that came up from mine that I had a less shame over was like, if I let go of Adderall, I might gain all this weight and who will I be and I'll lose my identity and all this shit that came up for it. So I started to, when I noticed that coming up in my like journaling in an A, I was like, I'm just going to start to draw on this now. I'm going to start to draw on body image and let's just see if anyone relates, not realizing that like every fucking woman relates. <laughs> so that's where that's everyone in general, really. And I started to share on that. And that is when my account um, started to, I guess, take off, as you would say, where people started to share them. And I was like, okay, this is a, this is a thing we're not talking enough about. And so then too, it was still just like for fun kind of and creativity. And let's see, it feels good when things resonate, right? Like I think at that time I started to get people who reached out to me for commissions. So people were like, there you go. Okay. I was going to say like, yeah, you were just, yeah. People were reaching out. For just like the odd little commission. Oh, can you draw this or that? Okay, cool. And then I started to notice like, oh, I'm actually like making enough money through commissions to like just do this. Um, so I, and that is when I actually finished school because I went back to school here in Canada for, uh, to finish off my degree in broadcast journalism. So I, and then I ended up doing nothing in that too because I was like, this is taking off as I'm in school for this, what do I really want to do? Okay. I know now for my recovery, I have to listen to myself because when I don't, I fall into the darkness. So if I don't follow this and maybe it will only last, and I'm still in that mindset. I'm like, this still might only last for like five more years. I don't care. I'm just going to keep following it as it's working and growing. I think that's the healthiest Way. I mean, that's why I start this, like talking about high school and go through people's lives. Cause I feel like so much when I was growing up, it felt like you choose a job career and then you're like, you, you, you stick with it. That's what you do. Like, that's what you are for the rest of life. And it's like, no, like, yeah. Like I lived my dream job. I mean, my dream career happen. And then I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore, but this is what I always wanted to do when I made it happen. And it's so cool that I'm a live sound engineer and I'm a female. Like, wait, but like these ways that we can get locked in to like, to like what our identity is, where it's like, Hey, this is just what I'm doing right now. And I'm loving it for right now. And it may not be, it may last forever in different ways, or it may turn into something else that we don't have to lock ourselves into something, even if it's our dream. <laughs> yes. I, and even as I've like grown, like, my love for art is the baseline, right? Like that's the baseline in everything is I love any form of creative expression, but that changes, right? Like even recently I've been like burnt out on my style and I'm like, okay, I want to change. And then there's this fear of like, if I change all this, all this stuff comes up. Right. But I know that like, I have to follow that flow. And like, even when I look, look back, but all the jobs I've had before, I'm like, but all of these jobs I needed to go through all the schooling and everything to know that this is where I want to be and to like really figure out what I don't want to do, which is just as important to figure out what you do want to do. Like, okay, yes, I want to run a business. No, I do not like baking. Like, yes, I want to, like, I love being around artists. No, I don't want to work in the music industry. Like kind of like fine tuning that that thing that you're like, I feel pulled towards this. I don't know what it looks like yet. And I don't need to know, right? Like, I just need to trust that flow and that whim and that little tug that's telling me 
you know, just sit down and draw, just like, just try, just create, just put yourself out there, just figure it out in a way that's almost like not figuring it out. Just let yourself go through the process of like, fine tuning what's working and what's not. Yes. I love that so much. And yeah, like about how it's just as important to figure out what you don't want in that. Yeah. So it's not as if anything that you did or any college class that you took or anything like wasn't worth it, or you made the wrong choice or that we made mistakes. It's like, no, okay. Yeah. That showed you this. And that showed you that you didn't want that or all of that, that like, yeah, we make, we spend so much time making ourselves wrong for things, making ourselves wrong for things that already happened, making ourselves wrong for our bodies that like, that like that are our bodies. And that's like making us function. Ah, oh, so frustrating. So you've been working like full, like your full income has come from being an artist for like the last five years. Is that right? Like ever since you started doing commissions? Yeah. Once I started doing commissions um, and then picking up like other clients to do illustrations for, and then as my social media has grown, I've gotten like partnership opportunities as well. So it's kind of like, now I have all these different like portals of income, not just commissions. Actually, commissions has kind of like phased out a little bit recently. Um, but I just... But like found different ways that, yeah, so you're getting paid for your money. Maybe it's, oh, I'm creating, you know, these designs for this, or I have a partnership for this, and then I'm selling my own artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's grown. And it's, yeah. And then I got my first book deal last year, which was a major like, that was, you know... When I think about the one thing I knew for sure as a kid, I was like, I always had this vision of me going into a bookstore and seeing a book I made. That's probably even before being an artist. Um, that was like a vision I always held because I was a kid that loved to read. I loved books. I loved the smell of bookstores like that. For, <laughs> that's such a visceral. I just love to be in a bookstore or a library. Um, so yeah, that was probably my biggest uh, for me, like the the moment for me where I was like, um, oh shit, I made something that like really matters. It reminds me of the title of the book, and that has to do with body image as well, right? Yeah, we talk it's a lot about body image and then also just um not just body image alone, but just like the way women are kind of told to be a certain way in general, be it our feelings, our experiences, our bodies you know, what we do with our lives kind of as a whole, just about, um, choosing to listen to yourself before you listen to any of that. Sounds very aligned with the F the shoulds and do the ones <laughs> mentality, <laughs> all the shoulds that are pushed on us and like, whoa, wait, listen to wait, what, what do I, what, why do I think, um, but what about in the dance thing? I want to know about the dance. Like, that's just like a hobby for you, I'm guessing. Right. But like, it is totally a hobby. It's, um, I loved to dance as a kid, but I was a kid who would like go in my room, lock the door and then dance in front of my mirror. Like I just wanted to like be in alone and experience and experience it like by myself. So not even like taking dance classes, but you just love to dance. I did not. My mom put me in ballet and I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I love to dance by myself. Yes. Like it was a total, like just me hanging out with myself experience, but also like I was a really shy kid. So I, maybe if I would have like investigated a little bit more, I would have been more comfortable. Uh, but I, when I was in school for broadcast journalism, I did this thing called call me a creator. And I interviewed a bunch of different creatives 
And I interviewed this one girl and she's like, yeah, she was a, um, she was a bodybuilder and she like professionally, and she's like, I also go to these heels dancing classes because they like tap into my feminine side. And I was like, oh, cool. She's like, oh, you should come with me to one. I'm like, no, I'm not. That's not, I don't dance. I dance alone. Okay. And so I was like, no, she's like, just come to one. I'll go with you. Like, it'll be fun. I swear, I've never been so afraid of all the things I've done. I was sweating on the subway to that dance class because I was so terrified. And even that time I was like, well, you definitely have to do it now because you're like terrified. So this is like, there's some part of you that really wants this. If you're this afraid of this thing, this like dance class. And so I showed up and it was the, the most fun I've ever had. It was also scary. Um, I do not choreograph dancing is like my, I am not someone who can see it, repeat it. I'm someone who has to see it, see it, see it, see it, see it, practice it. Like I'm not, it doesn't come intuitive to me. Um, which is why I love it because it doesn't come intuitively. It's not something that, um, I ever plan to monetize, I ever plan to do anything with except just do it and experience it and be in community with it with a bunch of other, you know, mostly women that are just like wanting to safely express their feminine side um, and to just have fun. So I just, I kept going to them. I was like, well, this is fine. I'm just going to keep going. And then, uh, yeah. And so we do these like, um, the place I go to now, they will do like heels training for like 10 weeks and then you'll put on a show at the end of the 10 weeks. So it's the same thing where one of the instructors was like, you should do one of these. And I'm like, no, I just go to the class. Like I'm not dance. I'll dance in front of y'all, but I'm not dancing in front of a crowd. And she's like, I think you should just try it. Like, and then of course I had the same thing where I was like terrified. So I was like, well, now I have to say yes because <laughs> I'm sweating over it. So again, it's telling me this is something I need to do. Um, that will follow your fear. And it was the it was the scariest and most fun thing I've ever done. I was so nervous to get on stage. I was like wobbly. Um, but yeah, so that's again, like I that really taught me the importance of like a non-monetizable hobby. Like a hobby that's like just you tapping into a part of yourself that you're not overthinking about how you can make money from it or how other people might perceive it, but just you doing it for the sake of like doing it. Enough. Yeah. I love that so much. I love when you see that share. I like 10 years when I was like living in New York and no, it was over 10 years ago, I had like one year in New York and I was like, I'm going to take hip hop dancing lessons here. And then I like never did. I like went back to you know, whatever, like, but it's something been in the back of my mind, like take an adult dance. I never, yeah, I think I took ballet like once when I was a kid. I don't even like, I didn't lock myself. I don't remember like ever dancing. I was always so embarrassed to dance. The fear of, I was so also so much in my life. Like, I don't care about you, what anybody thinks about me, but at the same time then was like, yeah, I'm not going to dance. Cause I'm like too cool for that. But it was like really like the fear of what everybody thought of me. Like, <laughs> That like, let me really project how I'm better than all of this, but it's really <laughs> that I am so afraid. Yeah. <laughs> that was my teenage years of being a little grungy. Yeah, I can relate to that. But I like, yeah, in 
So I, I never did, but it's like, so it's still inspiring me like, oh yeah, maybe I'll look for an adult dance because like just for fun. But I am like the worst. I remember like my sister taking me to, oh, what are those like dance aerobics class that were really big forever ago? Something with a Z perhaps. Zumba. My sister like Zumba? taking me to Zumba class yeah. and I was like cracking up laughing because I could not like, and everybody in the class was like loyal people. So everybody like knew like whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> but it was so fun at the same time of being like, yeah. I am a mess over here. I have no idea like what's going on. But yeah, like the freedom from like letting myself go dance. But anyway, so you you sharing about that like inspires me to be like, yeah, maybe I'll look for an adult dance class and try that out finally. And I almost forgot. Yes. Oh, I almost forgot I was going to get to like my final questions, but I forgot that you run a course and I don't know how long you've been running it, but I've seen you offer it several times. What inspired you to run your course? And what's the name of the course? Sorry. I'm always afraid I'm going to say the wrong name and step into your magic. (laughs) Step into your magic. Yeah. So I, um, what I really loved about NA was the community. Like I no longer am a part of NA. Um, I kind of felt like I reached a point where I was like, this is no longer for me. Um, but I, I always carried with me that sense of strong community of people just telling the truth, right? Whatever the truth is at the time, not filtering it, but just openly sharing it and just putting it out there. Um, that was something that I just like continued on for me, like in my art and everything, where just like, just tell the truth, you know, whether it's messy or no one understands, just more people relate than you ever think will when you just tell the truth, right? We're all like, oh, I'm the only one. And none of us are the only one. We are not that unique (laughs) in the human experience. So when I was like thinking about like creating a community um, and with my partner, Christiana, who's built it with me. We were thinking about it at first started off as like me wanting to. And yeah, how do you know her? Like, where did she come into the picture? We both worked for the same client. For oh, okay. So, yeah. So her and I met, we instantly connected. And then I was like, I have this idea for a course for artists. That's how it started off. I was like, you know, for how to like create a space online, create a space where people relate, how to grow your business. So it was kind of starting in the creative realm. The first cohort we did in January was mostly just like artists. And then we started to see that everyone has the same experience of like imposter syndrome and confidence. And it doesn't really matter what you plan to do with your life. Those experiences seem to be universal. So we decided to drop it being just for artists. And we were like, just anyone who's like kind of struggling with imposter syndrome and just wants a space and a community to kind of like work through it and to like get that, that voice that you have in the back of your mind. That's like, you know, we have the loud voices that are, you're not good enough. You can't do this. Who are you to think you are? You know, but then you have this this quiet voice that's like, but like, you really want to do this. This is important to you. And the course is about making that voice louder and making it louder in community so that you kind of build trust with it. And to like, we dive deep into unraveling all the stories that you tell yourself, just the ones that you don't even realize you might be telling yourself on a loop in your mind, but kind of like questioning it and then telling yourself a new one to kind of like stop that track of like, you know, limited self-beliefs and, and yeah, so it's all, it's a really in-depth, we go into a lot of stuff. We have a, a therapist that works with us in the program too, to kind of help people in ways that like we can't. And what inspired it is really like me just thinking like, what, 
if I could have taken something in my 20s that would have helped me, what what would have helped? And this course has kind of just come back. Love that. Very cool. Um, and yeah, I think by the time this episode is out, your next cohort will be running, but I'll put a link for wait, because you always have a wait list up, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll have a link to that in the notes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, okay. The questions I ask everybody, the first question is, what is a go-to to raise your joy levels? Ooh, what is a go-to to raise my joy levels is always going in nature. Um, we, I live right across the street from a, it's funny cause I like live in a city, but we have a huge park across from us. Thank God. And that's always my, like, I'm feeling funky. I'm feeling disconnected. I'm just going to go for a walk through, through nature. It's always, I always find something in nature that makes me feel a little bit more myself. Um, and also dance. <laughs> Just dancing. Love it. Um, okay. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you, like the natural way of being habits, the way your mind works. Can you think of a way to apply that to your own life? So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Oh my gosh. What is easiest for me oh, to like numb and scroll? <laughs> that is what's always easiest for me. But what's best for me is never to numb never scroll. numb and scroll. Um, yeah, that's really it. I never find the answers I'm looking for when I do that. What would be better to do then when you're in those modes? Usually, some form of movement. Actually, like I find most of my sometimes when I'm not feeling inspired, my instinct or well, probably not my instinct, my default is to like. Oh, go look for inspiration, right? Go look on at someone else's stuff. Go see if there's something that speaks to you. But it's it's never that. It's always like go for a walk and don't look at any. Like just don't look at your screen. Go go dance. Get yourself your body in movement. Go kind of get your get into your body, and then and then always inspiration will find me there. Yeah, I'm the same with like let me just take a walk outside. <laughs> see what happens for any and that's I'm I'm always any minutes is my thing like an any minutes walk or a wonder walk where I just like be with nature and it's so frustrating it's so simple but it's never the deep it's like no we do something else yeah the most simple thing just move just get up and move okay the name of the podcast is claim it because I feel like so often we are you know chasing these feelings of I'll feel enough once I do this, have this, look this way, or I'll be successful once again. It's like an external marker, but that really we're focused too much on what we think that looks like and not what it feels like. And so when we shift to what that feels like, we can actually like claim it or work to claim it or be much closer to claiming it in that moment, the feeling that we're after or being enough, being successful, being worthy. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Ooh. What am I claiming for myself? I'm thinking I'm having a hard time understanding that. So like claiming. (laughs) So, I mean, it can be anything. It could be like a one word. So like claiming something that perhaps one time you used to chase, like I am enough, I'm successful, I am magical, uh, I'm at peace. So something that we can often be like, I want that. Once I do this, I'll feel that. So like working on Oh, what do I want to feel like? I'm like claiming that for yourself, or I'm, you know, I'm content where I am. I've like, 
<laughs> it can be anything. <laughs> I Right now, what's coming to mind is internal abundance. I think that when I first started out, I, you know, drawing and creating, it was like beautiful that all these doors and opportunities were opening up. But you kind of quickly learn that while that stuff matters, it doesn't have the feelings that you think it will. It's always the, for me, it was like being proud of myself and like really honoring myself and being like, you know, um, focusing on how I'm viewing myself and like my internal abundance. So I've been like really leaning into that this year um, as uh, I had my experience with my first book being published, which is super beautiful, super great. And it definitely came with a lot of feelings where I was like, yeah, I felt that <laughs> like when it came out, I felt that feeling I've been looking for. But also, you know, you, I know for myself, I have these ideas of like how I'll feel after something. And it's usually not that. It's usually, um, I still am coming home to myself and have to remember that like how I feel about myself and the pride I take in myself will always be the main focus. And I've just been yeah, leaning into that this year. Love that. No, yeah, that's perfect because that's what the sort of thing is like we think once this happens, then I will feel like, yeah, oh, once my book's out in the world, then like I won't have any worries or stress or I'll feel amazing. I'll feel enough. I'll feel successful. I'll feel this. But it usually just when we're looking on something outside. So like, yeah, coming back to, whoo, okay, you're right. Like your internal abundance. Love that term. I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I've heard well, abundance. I thought of it as a spot. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I love you so much. I love everything that you create and share. And I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. Thank you for joining me. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. I got asked me questions that I had to think about, which I love. <laughs> and now internal abundance, which I thought of kind of on the spot. Take that. Like, yeah, claim that. Exactly Go utilize that out in the <laughs> world. With it. That's your next course. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's my next course. That's it. You guys heard right here now. <laughs> Oh, I love having these conversations so much. Go check out Stephanie again. If you aren't following her, she's at Stephanie Chin Art on Instagram. Go get her book, Here, Sister, Let Me Help You Up. Thank you so much for listening. I, I honestly, I love doing this podcast so much and having these conversations. And and it really means so much to, to see that you are listening. Please share about the podcast tag me. Let me reshare it. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your family. If you enjoy the podcast, can you tell some people for me? Because I would love to continue to make this and have it continue to grow. For all things me, go to trishahuffman.com, yourjoyologist.com. I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman is my main account. I've got Claim It Podcast and Your Joyologist too. I love hearing from you. So feel free to hit me up with a DM. For more things from me, check out my daily inspiration app called Own Your Awesome. Get my products at the shop.yourdoyologist.com. Sign up to know about future group coaching programs. And I have one-on-one -on -one availability sometimes throughout the year. It depends on when you're listening to it. So hit me up if you are interested in possibly working with me. Again, you can hit me up on Instagram or go to my website and you can even schedule a, um, a call to see what that would be like. 
All right. I am so grateful for you. Go get my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Wants. <laughs> if you have it, please leave it a review. Join my From the Heart community on Substack, trishahuffman.substack.com. That's an, I mean, yeah. I got a lot of things, y'all. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you. And for the last question, last thought, what can you acknowledge yourself for right now? 